Um, my name is Hope Owens, and Nate is coming up in a little bit. I think that you've seen our pictures around. Carla's done a good job of helping to get the word out that we're gonna, we were coming today. Um, we have two sons. Forrest is in second grade, and Peter is in pre-kindergarten, young fives kindergarten. And um, we have the opportunity to move to the Asia-Pacific region next month. We've known about this for a little while, and now saying next month is really scary to us. <laughs> We're like, oh no, it's really happening. Um, Asia Pacific is that kind of purpley pink area. I'm going to zoom in a little bit more so you can see it better. Um, it has 24 countries in in the whole region, and we'll be living there where that arrow is in Manila, Philippines. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of a perspective of some of the information, the statistics about the Asia Pacific region. With those 24 countries, uh, the population is such that for every one person in the United States, there are seven people in Asia Pacific region. That's about 2.8 billion people that we have the possibility of encountering, and we're very excited about that opportunity. Uh, the churches in the United States, number three to every one in the Asia-Pacific region. So we have about 1,800 churches on the region in Asia-Pacific, and so there's a, a lot of room for growth in that area, and so um, we know that God is there in the region and um, moving, and we're excited to see how God can use us to fulfill um, the Great Commission and making more Christ-like disciples in the nations. Um, we will be, like I said, working for the whole region, but we can't live on the whole region, so we're going to be stationed in the Philippines, close to Asia-Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary. That is just one of two Nazarene seminaries in the world. The other one is in Kansas City, and Nate and I have connections there as we met because we were going to NTS in Kansas City. Um, and now we get to interact with those folks at APNTS, Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary. We'll be living about 20 minutes away from the campus. Um, the Philippines is an island nation of 7,000 islands. They're not all inhabited, but there are a lot of islands there. And we wanted to help you understand, if the Philippines was a state, it would be about the size of Arizona. If we just smushed all of that landmass together, it would be about that size. But it's so populous that we would have to include, we would have to invite the um, states of California and Texas, New York, and Florida to our little state of Arizona to live. It's about 103 million people in the Philippines. So those are the most highly populated states in the United States. Do you think if we really created that state, it would get along very well? <laughs> I think we'll leave them how they are. Um, but, you know, it's going to be very diverse. Um, there are people from Papua New Guinea, Japan, South Korea, Australia. It's just such a diverse region. And um, we will have an opportunity to interact with those that people, all those people groups. Um, our assignment will be the regional communications coordinators. It is one role that Nate and I are going to fulfill together, and it's a good thing because if it was just my job, it wouldn't be very great, and if it was just Nate's job, it wouldn't be very great. <laughs> but together, we'll do it really well, I think. Um, we have been tasked with 
um, presenting communication that connects. So that kind of boiled down is we're going to be storytellers. We want to gather the stories of what God is doing in the Asia-Pacific region and sharing those all around the world, um, especially through Nazarene media outlets like Internet, podcasting, different um, television things on the region. Um, and we'll be helping to resource the people that are on the region, um, all those countries, to, to know better how to do, how to get the word out um, on the region and around the world. Um, and like I said, it is a very diverse and vast culture that we're excited to kind of stick out like a sore thumb in. I think we don't look anything like Asian, but I think that we, we can use that to our advantage, especially having our children there. Um, children on the mission field can be a tool that um, God can use just for their friendliness and their wiggly interaction. So we're happy to have the boys with us there too. Um, I wanted to give you some points of reference so that you can know how to connect with us. We will be out in the back and we have um, tons of prayer cards. We would love everybody to stick one of these up on your refrigerator or put it on your kitchen table and pray for us at meal times and things like that. And then pray for the countries that we'll be in too. Pray for our boys. As um, right now it's an uncertain and weird kind of time. Our house looks half undone with boxes everywhere. We're moving in on March 21st. And so March 3rd is our date for getting all that stuff out of our house. Um, so everything's kind of in upheaval right now. So just kind of giving them a perspective of calm and stability would be really good um, in your prayers for them. And as well, they're going to be moving to a new school, uh, Faith Academy in the Philippines. It's a missionary school. And we just want to pray that the, that transition goes smoothly and that they find friends and good connections there. Um, we're, we're very um, hopeful and we know that they will. You know, they're very resilient, but it's just always a concern. And, and they don't know that they will. So we just want God to give them that peace for that transition. Um, so if you would like to partner with us financially, we are salaried position, but there are some ministry expenses that we need to help cover, like um, a car, cell phones, computers, some big ticket items that we need to help complete our ministry. So we're raising funds for those. If you uh, want to take a picture of that screen, you can see it or you can... On the back of our prayer card, we have a QR code and the um, the website for that. But, you know, if you're interested in partnering, not just a one-time gift, but a recurring gift of 20 or $30 a month, that would go a long way to help continue our ministry while we're in the Philippines. Um, also, you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's a tiny URL. I don't know if you've ever used that, but I like to use it so you can kind of shorten those long <laughs> websites so tinyurl.com slash apowens subscribe that's also that link is also on our facebook page so if you go to owens family and ap on our facebook page you can subscribe to our newsletter there too but we would love you to just remain connected to our family and help um to keep knowing what is going on in, in the Asia Pacific and in this transition as we are moving. So I would like to invite Nate to come up and he'll share a little bit more with us now. Well, I want to thank you for having us here today. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be able to join you here in Kalamazoo and we're uh, 
we're thankful that you came out in this this wonderful, nice, snowy weather that we have here. We got stuck on the way in today. We were uh, <laughs> trying to turn right onto uh, onto the road right here that your church is on, and we it just hadn't been plowed quite right, and you know there was just a little little bit of an incline, and it was it was a little. Uh, it was it was a little touch and go there for a while. <laughs> I thought to myself, in just about six weeks' time, I will be sitting in 90-degree tropical humidity, and then I'll be crying out for the snow. Well, I want to start by asking you all a question. Uh, I, I, well, not a question, more, more something that I want you to do as we get started here. I want you to picture in your mind a place that you consider to be home. That's kind of a broad term, so let me kind of say what that could be. It can be anything that to you just feels like where you're based out of. Maybe it's a place. Maybe you grew up in the same house. Maybe you've grown up in, in uh, southwestern Michigan your whole life. And this, this part of the country, this part of the state, this is home to you. Maybe you're thinking of family members. Maybe you had grandparents who lived here. Maybe your family's lived here for generations. Uh, maybe you're thinking of... Like an actual house. Like, oh, we've lived in this house for like 20 or 30 years. Our kids were raised here. Our grandkids come join us here now. We all have some place in our mind that we think about as being home. Now, this is a little unfair. I asked you all to do this, and I don't have a good answer. That's that's unfair, because I'm making you do work that I'm not willing to do myself. But the truth is, I don't have the answer, because my parents were missionaries. In uh, 1993... I was 10 years old. My dad and mom accepted the call to missions, and they served for 12 years in the Middle East, in the country of Jordan and in Egypt, and then in West Africa after that, uh, in the country of Senegal. We were actually got, had the privilege of serving there with Dr. John Seaman when he was the field strategy coordinator in West Africa. And because of this, all this moving around, I don't have a good answer for what home looks like. I don't even have it if I'm just thinking about where I'm from in the United States. I was born in Battle Creek, and I lived in Michigan until my folks went in the mission field, but none of my family is from Michigan. My mom's parents are from the South. My, my grandpa was from Beaumont, Texas, and my grandma's from Opelousas, Louisiana. My dad's family's from Ohio. <laughs> oh, now, now. Now, now. I could say much nastier things. <laughs> I once, uh, I, I had the chance, I'm, I'm taking this a little side note, I had the chance to preach uh, at our church in Saginaw the week after Ohio State had beat Michigan State, <laughs> and I made a crack about it and they turned my mic off, so. <laughs> so, I'm not doing that, I'm not going to roll that way today. But I don't have a good answer, even people in the U.S., where you're from, like, kind of Ohio, kind of Michigan, I love both places, and so... When I'd come back to the States, after I was finished with high school, I came back to the States and people would ask me, so, where are you from? And I'd be like, mm, you know, I, I don't have an answer. There's no good answer. I'm from a lot of places. I lived in four different countries. I, or oh, five different, four? How many did I say? I said four, I think. <laughs> See, it's hard. And, I, and I, did, I didn't have a good answer. And so, what, I grew up really wanting to have a home. I, I gotta have a place. I gotta have a place that I say is my home. Otherwise, you're just completely adrift. I got nothing. And so I really kind of seized on this idea. I want to make myself a home. I'm going to find a place and adopt that as my home. That's part of the reason I went to Mount Vernon Nazarene University. That's where I attended and got my, not got my undergraduate degree. I attended there because when we were on home assignment, while well, I was, uh, my folks were in the mission field, we were on home assignment in Mount Vernon, Ohio. 
My mom's parents retired there from, from their own missionary career, and my dad was attending seminary at Ashland Theological Seminary, so I spent a year and a half in Mount Vernon, made a lot of good high school friends, my college roommate I met during that year and a half, we roomed together all four years, and we... And this, this kind of became where I'm going to put down roots. So I wanted to go to Mount Vernon because I wanted to be back. This is like home. We'll call this home. Well, I, I attended four years. It was a great time. I had a ball. But I get to the end of that, and now the, the big thing that happens at the end of every college, uh, college degree is like, so now what? And I'm like, mm, yeah. again, you know, <laughs> I don't have a good answer to any of these tough questions. Where's home? What are you going to do after college? And I get there, and I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. And like a lot of people, I didn't really have, I wasn't able to find a job right away. And so at that time, it turned out my parents were going to be moving back to the U.S. My dad had decided, had felt the call back into the pastorate, and so he was going to be moving to Saginaw. My dad still pastors in Saginaw. He's been there 13 years this year. And he moved back there, and... And they invited me and said, listen, you don't have anything else going on. Why don't you move in with us, get settled, and then you can kind of try and find your feet and move out from there. And that's, that's not the ideal. No one wants to move back in with their parents, but it's what you got to do sometimes. That's how it happens. And so I moved back in with them and I thought, well, you know, this isn't so bad. I was born in Michigan. I was raised in Michigan. Maybe this could kind of be like a home for me. I'm back with my parents. I hadn't lived with my parents for four years. I spent four years of, co- of college not being around them at all. But the thing is, any of you who actually did live with your parents after college knows that that house gets real small in a hurry. I, it, it couldn't be home. I wasn't supposed to stay there. And I sensed that. I could feel that kind of disquiet in my soul. I'm, I don't belong here. I didn't know what it was. But you know what? I did kind of remember, when I finished college, I had an uncle of mine. And he said to me, he's like, Nate, I think you need to consider going into the ministry. And at the time, I was like, oh, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not for me, that's not what I'm looking for. But now a year later, it had been like, well, you know, maybe my uncle was onto something. Maybe this is something I need to consider. The only problem was my undergraduate degree was in communications, which is like having no degree at all. And, and so I thought, well, I, I'm gonna need more, so I'm, I'm gonna need to go to seminary. So, I made preparations to move to Kansas City to attend Nazarene Theological Seminary. It was, uh, it was one of those moments where God just kind of opened those doors. My dad and I drove from Saginaw all the way down to Kansas City, and we, we were there for a week, and within a week I had found a place to live and a job. I had no, neither, no leads on those things when we got there. Within four or five days I had found both of those things. That's a big yes, Right? And so that's like, wow, this is really what God has for us. This is an amazing thing. And so I made preparations to move, and I moved to Kansas City. Now, let's set that over here, because meanwhile, God, there's always a meanwhile when God is involved. There's always something else happening that we're not seeing. But meanwhile, over here, Hope was finishing up her own degree at, at Mid-American Nazarene University in, Kansas, in the Kansas City area. And as she finished up, we, she had a chance to share this with the teens this morning. As she was finishing up, she kind of sensed that, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be fun. She had a, a missions professor who had served in, uh, in Korea. And she thought, well, you know, there's an opportunity. I can go teach, teach English, not Korean. She didn't teach Korean. <laughs> I, t- I can teach English at Korea Nazarene University. She did that for a year and a half, taught conversational English. She got to the end of her time there and it's, hey, this is pretty cool. I like, I like serving cross-culturally. Maybe I should find another opportunity. So she found another opportunity in Kenya at Africa Nazarene University, working in admissions there. Both of these as a volunteer missionary. And as she got to the end of this time, 
she kind of sensed that, you know, I think that missions is something that God is calling me to. And so she came back to her family. Her family's from Dodge City, Kansas. And she came back to this, uh, to her, to home and kind of began praying about this and started the process of becoming a missionary, of applying for a missionary, which if you've ever, if you like paperwork, applying for a missionary position is a great opportunity. Because there's so much of it. It was just paper, and it's, and of course we gotta fill it out for both of us, because we were both applying. This is what I experienced later on. She filled it, she filled it out twice. <laughs> she filled it out once ten years ago and then once now. And she, she did all this process and they took her in for missionary assessment, which is when they fly you to Kansas City and they, they do all sorts of tests and team building exercises to see, hey, should you be a missionary? Because believe me, not everyone should be a missionary. And they just are going through this process with her and she gets to the end and they say, listen, we think you'd be great, but we have an opportunity here that we think would be really good for you. They offered her a position in the mobilization office for global mission. What that means is she'll be working with work and witness. And she would be helping them find ministry opportunities and helping them uh, be mobilized and be ready to go on the field and to and working with people on the field to make sure they could welcome them and all, in case there was an emergency. And Hope was the, per, the point person for that. If you organized a work and witness team in your church from about 2007 to about 2014, you probably talked to Hope because she was that person. It went through her. And that was the opportunity they, prevent, that they presented her with. And she's like, well, you know, I was thinking about missions, and this is like missions. This is a missions opportunity. I'm not traveling cross-culturally, but this is an opportunity to work in terms of missions. Well, she, her job actually put her on the third floor of our building. This is, in the, this is back when it, it's now the Global Ministry Center, if you're a Nazarene insider. It's the Global Ministry Center now, but it used to be headquarters. And it was this old building that was out in downtown Kansas City. And she was on the third floor of this building. Or no, she was on the second floor. I was on the third floor. Seminary student by the name of Nate Owens. We met there, and I don't want to go uh, into too much detail, because if you really want to hear the story, I'm sure Hope would be glad to tell you. But uh, after a few dates, it was pretty obvious that I had a good thing going, and I needed to lock that down. <laughs> so after Hope told me um, that she'd gotten this job, so we were, we'd, you know, we're getting ready to be married, and go, throughout this whole relationship, she mentioned to me, so I actually got this job applying for missionary position. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not something I want to do. Just to be clear... And she's like, oh, you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm doing it now. Like, that was kind of her thought. You know, this is my, I am missionarying right now in this position that I'm in. And I was like, okay, that sounds good because I don't want to do that. My goal was to finish my degree and go back home. Michigan, Ohio, one of those places. Some place that I had called home in the past. I want to get back to home. All right? I don't want to go into ministry. I don't want to be a missionary. And she's, you know, she was pretty cool with that, I guess. <laughs> she, she, she let that go and said, yeah, all right, that's fine. So it turns out the missionary, uh, that, excuse me, seminary didn't actually take. I did a year of it, and it was not a good fit for me for a lot of reasons. So then what I thought is, I still got to get home. I don't want to hang out here. I'm not doing seminary anymore. I got to get home. I kept looking for jobs that would bring me home. I didn't feel like I could just up and go. And so I kept looking for jobs, and nothing came through. It was the weirdest thing. I couldn't find any kind of foothold that would have allowed me to, to get back into this. Wow, this thing tilted right there on me. I should be careful how I shift my weight on this. I, I couldn't find an opportunity like that. 
Those of you who have ever been through a job hunt, an extended job hunt, for months, for years, that hurts. There are not many things in life that I've experienced that are as emotionally draining as looking for work. And I was better than most because I had a job. It was a pretty good job, but that didn't feel right. I felt like, uh, this isn't a good fit for me. What's wrong here? The one nice thing was we'd been in Kansas City for a few years by this point. We'd gotten married. We'd started having kids. We had a church family that we really liked. And it began to feel like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to be back in Ohio or Michigan. I love those places. You know, you'd go back and it wouldn't really feel like home anymore. Everyone's grown up. You know, it's not like I don't have college buddies. They got kids. They got families. You know, everyone's too busy to do stuff. We can't just hang out. It's not going to be like that anymore. Everyone's moved away. They go, you know, they go and get jobs elsewhere. It didn't feel like home anymore. But I thought, hey, Kansas City, this is where we're putting down roots. This is an, op- this is an opportunity to find home. I found it. This is where it is. My job was tough, though. Um, I, it, it, was, I, it was not a bad job, but I just I didn't feel right. Something was just gnawing at me, and I didn't feel like I was able to, to ever get any peace. And I kept looking for other jobs and nothing would ever pan out. It was the most, just, just, just this heaviness that's always on me because it just felt like everything was a dead end. It began to take its toll on me. I'd be up really late just, just exhausted. I'd be praying and angry with God. You know those moments of just, you know, God, God can handle it. I don't hear people say, I had one my, my one year of youth pastoring, and I don't want to tell God I'm angry. It's like, like God doesn't know. You know what I mean? It's like, we have this idea, like, oh, I don't want to offend God. Believe me, you'll be fine. You know, <laughs> he can handle it. And, and it was these moments where I'm having really dark conversations with God. Truly dark conversations for me. And I didn't know what to do. And every night it was the same thing. Just one more thing, one more day of, of rejection. One night, I don't, know, I don't know what happened that day. Maybe I'd gotten news on a, a job that hadn't gone through or something. And I was up late. Hope had gone to bed. It was like one in the morning, which nothing good happens that early in the morning. It, it was one of those points. I really should have gone to bed. I would have felt better, but I'd ha- I wasn't. And I was, I was praying, and I was angry, and I just had the sense of God saying to me, all right, are you ready to let this go now? You've tried everything. Because that, that's, that's, those are the words I'd said to God. I've tried everything. God's like, all right, so what are you going to do now? Are you going to let me handle this now? And I want to say it was this, this big enlightened moment where the angels, and I was like, yes, Lord, yes. I don't know, it was more like, sure, whatever. You do it. For all the good it'll do you. You take care of it, God, because I'm, I'm done. I, I, I have no other ideas. I am tapped out. I got nothing else that I know what to do here. I am completely spent. God said, okay, then I'll handle it. That was a Monday night. Tuesday night, which is the next night. That's how they work, Monday, Tuesday. I, I don't have to explain that to you guys. I, I'm sure you knew that already. Tuesday night, we had board meeting. I was on the church board of the board, church we attended, which as you can imagine, was sure to improve my mood, as board meetings often do. (laughs) I've been preaching all over Michigan. That's the first amen I've gotten. (laughs) This 
we, we were in the board meeting, and you know, this had been a church that if the church had been through it, about six or seven years earlier, it had a very ugly pastoral uh, transition. Um, the board had been involved. It was just a real mess. Horrible smoking crater of a church fiasco. One of those things. And we were praying, sitting there and praying, and you know, we, we were a few years removed from this now. And one of uh, the staff members was saying that he had been on a retreat. And the retreat, he had gone to a monastery in the Kansas City area. And at this monastery, one of the monks had been, you know, they had like a little, I guess a tour or something, and he was walking them through, and there was a room there, and the room was not marked. I don't know what the room was called, but somehow it caught his eye, and he said, hey, what's this room for? And the monk who was, who was giving him the tour said, well, that's for if two of the monks here in the monastery, two of the brothers, have some kind of problem with each other, they go in here, they fix it, Maybe have a third party in there, like a mediator or someone. They go in there, they solve the problem, and they come out so that it's not this horrible, toxic thing that's making the rest of the place sick. Right? And he was telling the story, and knowing all our background that this church had been through, everyone said, someone said, oh wow, we could really use something like that. <laughs> Which was true. But they all laughed. Like it was this ridiculous thing. <laughs> Why would we do that? Why would we have something like that? We could just talk about this behind everyone else's back, you know. That's how we've always solved these things. Why would we try to get it out in the open and solve the problem so it doesn't make everything else toxic? What an absurd idea. I can't believe they laughed. That's ridiculous. I, and I sat there and I thought, well, that does sound like a pretty good idea. We're living proof. We really needed this. And I kept thinking about it. I couldn't tell you what a single other thing we talked about through the rest of board meeting that night. Because I kept thinking about this idea. Man, we, that's really something we could have used. And I got home that night and I was just been thinking, one of the options I've been considering throughout this whole, this was going on six or seven years now, this whole period of trying to find something else, of trying to move on and find home, I had thought about maybe I should attend graduate school. I couldn't think of a thing to study though. I don't, you know, I didn't, which is weird, I didn't think, nothing sounded like, do I want to commit all that money and time? And I, and I started thinking, I wonder if you can get a master's degree in conflict resolution. It turns out you can! I, I googled it! I, like, I don't know what else to do! Because like, I didn't have someone, hey, do you know, and they, they would have just said, well, I don't know. I, I googled it! And I found actually a program at Southern Methodist University, that's in Dallas, Texas. And at Southern Methodist, they had a program for dispute resolution and conflict management. And it was like, the Lord just opened it up and it was like, yeah, do this. You wanted me to handle it, here it is. Here's the handling it, right in front of you. And it was another one of these moments where I... I I flew down there. We connected with the church right away. An amazing Nazarene church. We had a wonderful family there. We connected with them right away. I applied in February. We had been accepted by May, and we had moved in August. It happened fast. God was in this. That was the yes right there. The only problem was we had to move to Dallas, Texas. Which, I mean, I don't say... It's not a problem inherently to move to Dallas, Texas, but I was leaving home. We lived in Kansas City for eight years. I lived there for eight years at this point. We lived there together for six years. And we had to leave home again. I didn't want that, man. And I tell you, the move to Texas was rough. They say Texas is like a whole other country. And I don't want to give Texas the satisfaction of agreeing with them, but it is true. It, is, it, was, it was like a completely new experience. 
It was exhausting. I wasn't able to find a job. I, I, I moved there. This is, of course, there's a whole emotional baggage. Wow, I can't find a job. And now that I don't actually have a job, I need one even more desperately. <laughs> and I still couldn't find one. Turns out that God was using that as an opportunity for me to be able to stay home with my kids as a stay-at-home dad. Hope worked as an administrator at our church. And i got to tell you, administra- church administrators do not make a ton of money. <laughs> and so there were some really tough times. How are we going to make ends meet this month? I don't know. Something's got to not be done this month so that we can get groceries or fix the car or do state inspections on the car. We had to do that every year. It was always something. And there were some, some tough nights. But you know, I have this sense now. This sense that it's, this is the hardest it has been in our marriage. But it was different this time. It was different this time. I, I wasn't home. I wanted to be home, but I wasn't there. It was different now because there was a sense that God had set this up. This is awful. We're broke. We can't make ends meet. There's, the car's busted or something. But at least we're where God wants us to be. At least we have that. And sometimes that is all you have. And I'm so sorry to tell you this. Those of you who are just kind of starting out on your walk with God, sometimes that's all you can cling to. God does, it does not just suddenly become this easy thing. It's hard still. And it's really hard sometimes. And you have to be okay with saying, well, God brought me here. God will take me through. I gotta say, it was a hard start. The first six months were brutal. By the time we'd left, what an opportunity it had been. I never knew the passion that our Lord has for peace. How much he longs for us to be healers in our world. And how much we have rejected that role. Southern Methodist University is not a it says Methodist in the title, but it's one of those universities. It's not particularly Christian. It's a mostly secular environment. I learned more about Jesus and more about faith in that year and a half than I had from four years at a Nazarene University. And I love our Nazarene universities, all of them. But God changed me in that year and a half. I had never seen what kind of God I served until I saw that we serve a God of peace and healing. I had the opportunity to sit down with people all over the world. I never thought, I mean, you know, that's, that seems odd, but I'm here in Dallas, Texas. I'm doing group work with someone from Kenya, someone from Cameroon, and someone from Russia. And here I am from the U.S., whatever. That was my group. It was great. What a cool opportunity. I had the opportunity in a different context to sit down with someone from Iran. His parents were Muslim. He's more nominally Muslim, you know, just like, yeah, sure, that's kind of, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I checked on the census box. His parents had fled when the Shah was deposed in 1979. And so he had been living in Texas. He was born and raised in Texas. He played football for the University of Houston with Case Keenum. He was on the offensive line for Case Keenum. And he was in this program. There was also someone else there. She was from India. She was Hindu. And we were just talking. This is like downtime in class. We were talking. I got the opportunity to explain the significance of Lent in the Christian calendar. They'd never heard that before. It wasn't like this big Billy Graham witnessing kind of thing. I didn't, you know, lead him to Christ right then and there. We all went our separate ways. But they had never even thought of that. 
They never even thought of Christians as having the same kind of rituals and rhythms throughout the year that they have. It was a chance to humanize Christians for them. What a cool opportunity! I never thought I'd have that. I, I, did, I blasted through all my coursework in a year and a half, which is bananas, but I did it because I didn't have a job. I had the time to do it. I didn't know that was what God was putting together, but that's what God was putting together. I got to the end of my time, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to be a peacemaker. I want to do this. turns out that a lot of people don't want to pay you for that. <laughs> I do got to do this job search again? I can't do that. Ah, oh, this is the worst. And so I, and it, it was the same kind of thing. I couldn't find any opportunities, couldn't find anything. And then one day, it was Pentecost Sunday, 2016, I'm getting ready to go to church that Sunday, and I'm getting out of the shower, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And the Lord kind of came back, this is a weird time for God to get my attention. But He got my attention and He said, hey, you ready to think about ministry again? You wanted to be a peacemaker. You want to be someone who is a healer in the kingdom. Are you ready for ministry now? And at this point, at this point I had seen God's faithfulness. I had seen God take us through that dark time in Texas. I had seen God be faithful through those late nights in Kansas City when I didn't know what to do next. And I said some horrible things to God. I had seen God be faithful through all of that. So now the only response was, absolutely, Yes, I will do that. Yes. And I want to tell you that it was another situation where the next day, God just opened some door. It didn't. I said yes and I waited. That's also how following Jesus works sometimes. You say yes, you respond, and then you cool your heels for a while. I had to wait. <laughs> I kept looking for other jobs and none of them panned out, so I might as well just keep on waiting. And uh, it was several months. This was in May that I'd had this experience, and we got to about September, and I got a call from my dad. My dad pastors at Saginaw Valley Church of the Nazarene, still does, and he called me and he said, hey, I want you to pray about something. He, he had known, I'd had this conversation with him that I felt this call into ministry, and I didn't have anything specific like pastoring. What I, you know, I didn't know what that call looked like. And he called me and said, I was wondering if you might consider something. Our youth pastors just resigned, and I want you to pray about maybe coming on board as youth pastor here. I told him, I was like, well, I mean, I'll pray about it, but you should know, I don't, I mean, I don't know the first thing about youth pastoring. I, my degree is in conflict resolution. He assured me that shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> and, uh, and we prayed about it, and it was a, it was a yes. It had to be. We were, we were praying about it together and there was just a sense of God's opened this door. We need to, we need to walk through. So we got to come home. I got to be back in Michigan. Got to be close to my family. My kids had never had a chance to be close to their grandparents. But you know, it didn't feel like a homecoming. People would say, oh, it's like you're coming home because I was, I knew people in the church. Oh, it's like you guys are coming home. And it was. But there was also the sense that we weren't here because it was home. We're here because this is where God opened the door. We're not coming back as people who are coming home. We're coming back as followers. We're not leaving home now. Or we're, not, we're not returning home now. I had thought it would be a long haul 
position at Saginaw Valley. But, you know, I, it, I, I don't know why I thought that, because there were all sorts of warning signs. Warning signs. Warning, you're going to be a missionary. <laughs> there was all sorts of little signals that, hey, maybe this is something God has for you. Our son, Forrest, he turns eight in March, just a couple weeks. He told us that, you know what, I think I'd really like to live in another country. Okay. It was like, <laughs> what brought that on? I... I started remembering what it was like to live overseas. We had the opportunity to, with our church in Texas, we went on a work and witness trip to Ecuador in 2016. It was a great experience, and I had forgotten what it was like to live in a culture that wasn't my own. I'd forgotten how great that was. It is great. It might not sound like it, but it is. I'd forgotten what it was like to worship with people in God's family who are not like me. We really need that, you know. We need to worship around people who aren't like us. I felt that need, and I was like, you know, I began thinking with hope. I began thinking about what it, just the logistics of moving overseas. What would it be like? I, idly thinking, what would it be like to move overseas? I was telling a friend about this, and he's like, are you moving overseas? And I said, no. <laughs> Live in Michigan. I'm not doing that. But we kept thinking about it, and so it, it began to be obvious. I, I, we thought... You know, let's give this three or four years. They want to see a high school class through from beginning to end. Let's give it three or four years. At the end of that time, let's revisit this missions idea. Well, six months in, we attended a General Assembly this last summer, where Hope had her selfie with everyone in the Church of the Nazarene. All 8,000 people who attended, I think, had their picture taken with Hope. We were there and we had the opportunity, uh, Dr. Mark Lowe. Dr. Mark Lowe served with my parents in the West Africa field, with Dr. John Seaman as well, as uh, he served in the, in the Ivory Coast. And now he is currently the regional uh, director for the Asia-Pacific region. He lives in Singapore. And he asked to sit down with us. Now, we'd kind of kept in touch a little bit over the years. You know, just we'd see him at, at Nazarene functions at other general assemblies and stuff. And he sat down with us and he said, I want you two to consider, prayerfully consider coming on board the regional staff, as missionaries, and you'd live in Manila. And it was not this way for Hope. Hope struggled with this longer than I did. But for me, it was just this sense of, of course, absolutely. God had opened the door, and it was like in my, in my mind and in my spirit, there was this sense of, I have to be there. I've got to be where God is, and this is where God is leading me. It sounds crazy. I, could, it was, I felt terrible telling our church board about it. <laughs> I hadn't been there a year yet. I felt terrible. And I, and, I, and I think people had this sense of, why would you leave home like this? And the truth is, now, my home is not a place like that. My home is not in Michigan or Ohio or Kansas City or Texas or Senegal or Jordan or Egypt. It's not, it's not even in the Philippines. My home, I have a new kind of home now. When we're in Jesus, we have a new kind of home. So I'm going to ask you again, what does home look like to you? I spent years of my life trying to get home. Years. And I mostly failed miserably. 
The times I succeeded, it ended up being hollow. There was no peace there. The places I thought were home were always going to be disappointing. Because we always want to make our home with stuff that's here. With the country. I love the United States. If I had my druthers, I wouldn't live anywhere else. I love Ohio. I love Michigan. I want to live there. One of those two places. I love my parents. I love my sister, my nieces and nephews. I love Hope's family. But that's not home. Because none of those things are going to last. There's not a country or a structure or a person in history who has ever been permanent. The jobs we love, the people we care about, they will all fade away. And we try to use those things as our home. So instead of making my home in the things of this world, now I'm, gonna, I'm ready to live where God is. Are you ready to live where God is? I want you to read Psalm 84 with me. I didn't, I usually I try to do the text at the beginning of a sermon, and I didn't this time. I was kind of burying the lead, I guess. But Psalm 84, this is a beautiful psalm. And I'm going to read the whole thing. It's all 12 verses, so stick with me here. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Amen. The psalm was actually written for the temple. It's it's a literal, you know, in your courts, I mean literal courts. Which is such a human thing to do because the temple was just a place. It was not permanent. God didn't need the temple to be worshipped. So it shows this attachment, that human need for that. But listen to the language here. This, this longing to be with God. I want to be where God is. I want to be where my Jesus is. My soul faints. I can't maintain consciousness unless I am where God is. I cannot handle to be anywhere else. And when I'm there, my heart sings. This is what I was meant for. I was meant to be with my God. I was meant to follow Jesus. Do you remember that passage in Matthew chapter 8? Where people come up to Jesus and say, Hey, listen, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but i got to go do a thing. 
I got to go bury my father, which seems worthy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you take care of your family. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Everything in this world, it's going to be an anchor if you let it. It'll hold you back from following me. You have to let it go. You have to let go of every place, every country, every structure, every family member. These are not permanent. Make your home with me. Why would we make our homes in anywhere besides God? When we hear it that way, the thirst to be in the presence of God. You know what it says? It says those who are in the presence of God, I love it. They go from strength to strength. I love it. The image it conjures up, and this is, you know, me interpreting it. The image it conjures up for me is this like a rushing stream, like a really crazy river, and there's stones, and you got to walk from stone to stone. Everything's swirling, and this madness and chaos around you. But you, as the people of God, we are following in the steps of Jesus. We are stepping on those stones, and we go from strength to strength, and those waters can't touch us. you got to cross it still. Sorry. You don't just get to go around the river. you got to go over it, but you go from strength to strength. The Valley of Baca. I, the, the Valley of Baca, it's this location that's kind of ambiguous. When you read the text, it's like, it could be this place, but it might not be. The point is that it's wilderness. It's inhospitable. There's, you know, rocks and, and hot sun and, and not a lot of water and nothing much can grow there. But when the people of God follow Jesus through the valley, springs well up. That stuff doesn't even touch us anymore. We can't go back. God didn't come to maintain the things that are familiar for us. I want to say that again. God didn't come to preserve what's familiar to you. He came to lead His people. Wherever you are now, God is telling you, I have something so much better. Just follow me. And we see Jesus saying that to people. Follow me. And all we can say in response is, yes. Yes, I want to follow my God. I want to follow Jesus. It's hard. Following Jesus is hard. You ever try to love your enemies? Those guys are jerks. I don't want to love them. You ever try turning the other cheek? That's hard. You ever try living your life the way Jesus lived his life? When he was accused, when he was beaten, when he was slandered and he was silent? And as he's hanging on the cross says, Jesus, or Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's hard. Following Jesus is hard to do. But we believe as the people of God that it is always worth it. It is never too great a sacrifice to follow Jesus. It would be safer not to. I, don't, I mean, people always ask us, are you worried about what could happen in the Philippines? I don't know. I'm probably more likely to be mugged. It'd be safer to... Well, maybe not in Saginaw. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be safer, probably, to stay near family. Could be more secure. Definitely be easier. I can tell you that. Moving internationally is no joke. It would definitely be easier to stay here. But God's not here for me. God is here for me. But you know what I mean? This is not what God has for me. He's not leading us always onward. 
It's better to be as close to God as possible than to be comfortable a long way away. I'm so thankful that I'm part of a church that believes that. I'm thankful for the Church of the Nazarene. I'm thankful for the Michigan District. I am thankful for Cross Community Church. I'm thankful for your faithfulness to follow God's will. Part of an extended heritage. We all are. I see that obedience to God's will. I see it in my own parents. Someone asked today in Sunday school uh, if you felt if I felt inspired by my own parents, and the answer the answer now is yes. <laughs> I do feel inspired by my parents because I saw them trust God. I saw God's faithfulness demonstrated through my parents' faithfulness. I'm thankful for Hope's parents, who have lived in the United States all their lives, but still saw the value in embracing other cultures. They host how many foreign exchange students? Ten foreign exchange students. Can you imagine coming from Indonesia to Dodge City, Kansas? It's like going from Michigan to the Philippines. They were faithful to God's call throughout the United States. Dad, Hope's dad is pastored here in the U.S. His, he has been a, a Christian school principal. He has gone where the Lord needed him. Her whole family has done that. That's what I'm thankful for, seeing that obedience demonstrated. It's a commitment that I want to pass down to my own kids. We talk a lot about the next generation. We, we talk about, you know, we, there's a lot of generational anxiety in the church. I want to, I think that one of the biggest things we can do for the next generation, if they see us demonstrate faithfulness and trust and obedience to God, no matter the cost, that's going to make it a lot easier for them to be faithful and obedient and to trust God at all costs. So one more time, where is home? Would you rather serve a single day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere? Would you rather be a doorkeeper in the house of our God than live in the finest this earth has to offer? I don't know what that'll look like for you. It could look like a lot of different things. I think of my two grandfathers. My dad's dad was born in southeastern Ohio, kind of just as the Appalachians are starting to come up there. And he worked in a foundry his whole life. Woke up on his 16th birthday. His dad, his dad was, could probably be considered abusive. His dad woke him up and said, all right, you're going to work today. Not finishing school. Go to work. He worked in that place for 40 years until he retired. Lived in the same town until he was 70 years old. As he... As he was there, he used that as his opportunity. I'm going to pour out Christ's compassion, Christ's love, Christ's mercy on my family, on his kids, my dad and his older sister, on his wife, and on his father. This father who had, who had hurt him. You are not unworthy of God's love. I will show you what Jesus looks like over a lifetime lived in a single city. I think of my other grandfather, my, my, my other grandfather from Beaumont, Texas. After World War II, he accepted the call to serve as a missionary in the Philippines. He got in a boat and went there. His fiancée also got in a boat, followed him there, different boats. She followed him there. They got married there, had six kids there, lived for 30 years in the tropical heat. That is also following God. It looks different for all of you. But we are all called to follow. 
Your journey might keep you in the same place forever. Super. You might have to move every six months. Super. You go with God either way. We will go through the wilderness sometimes because we believe it is always worth it. It is always worth it to follow God. I'm going to take a moment here. I don't, I don't often do this um, when I'm speaking, but I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, Jeff, you mentioned this, and I, I want to take the opportunity because I know that we have things in our lives that hold us. There's so many good things in our lives, family and homes and jobs that we love, and it's okay to love them. But when we start loving them a lot, they become like ropes that hold us in one place. And there's always a thing that's keeping us from following the way we ought to. And I just want to give you all an opportunity today to be able to let those things go. Uh, you know, you, I, I'll pray in a minute or so, and you're, you're welcome to come up here and, and just pray at the altar, but I want to close on a word of prayer because I want you all to know that God wants you to follow Him. And it's not going to look like what we want to follow. But I want to make that opportunity for you. I pray that, uh, that God would use this time. And if not, if no one comes up here, that's fine. But I'm going to close in prayer. And then uh, Jeff's going to come up and he's going to uh, have some other stuff for us. But I just want to use this moment. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who calls us. Thank you for being faithful to see us through when you have called us, Lord. And, oh, Lord, we confess that there are times we didn't want to follow. There are times that following looked like too great a sacrifice. Lord, my family is here. Lord, my home is here. Lord, my country is here. I can't leave. Lord, there are those times in our life. And, Lord, we confess those to you. Lord, there are times that after we had accepted, Lord, where we lost our faith, that you were going to do what you said you had done. Lord, we know that you are always faithful. We recognize that, Father, even in the times when we have answered and we have not gotten the response we hoped for. Lord, we long to be in your courts. We long to be where you are. If the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, then let it be true of us as well. Let nothing hold us back, Lord. Nothing hold us back from obedience, from faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time here. I, every time I speak, Lord, I just pray that you would give me the words to say, and I, I know you've been faithful to do that today as well, Lord. Lord, as we go from this place and as we go into our lives and we see opportunities for faithfulness, I pray that we would take those opportunities, Lord. I pray that we would not let them slip by us and that we would not choose comfort far away from you so that we can be safer and more secure. Thank you, Father, for all you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing here at Cross Community. Thank you for what you're doing in this, in this community and in this state, Lord, and in this nation and in this world, Lord. Make us faithful stewards of that, of that gospel. We believe it is worth it, Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Nate, thanks. What a, what a beautiful message. And over and over, Nate talked about the yes of God 
and the way that God provided in those moments. Now we get to be part of God's yes for Nate and Hope. And so the ushers are going to come, and uh, we've heard specifically what some of the need is. Some of the need is for a car. That's a big need. Um, and some is uh, for cell phones and those kinds of things. So I'm going to steal this from another pastor, okay? If you have a car payment, or you've had a car payment ever, or you have a cell phone bill, and you know what that is, would you be challenged today to give either one month, make an extra payment of cell phone for Nate and Hope today? Or some of you, would you be willing to make an extra car payment to Nate and Hope so that they will begin to, to, to be able to do that? Could you do that today? Whatever you can give, I'm sure they will be appreciative of. But let's think in terms of what we take for granted for us. And let's give that on to them and be a part of God's yes for what they are going to do in the Philippines. So let me pray, and then the ushers are going to receive. You can give cash or check. Just make sure you write Nate and Hope somewhere on the check. You can also give online. Uh, I believe their little card has a QR code. Is there giving on there as well? So you can give that way right out there. And stick around. We've got food for you. We've got appetizers before you go home. Uh, We want you to get your kids and come and take selfies, do all of that. But let's pray. God, we pray your blessing upon Nate and Hope. And they're two boys. Thank you for their inspiration that wherever you call us to is home. For you can live inside of us. Help us to be a people that lets go of all things in order to follow you. And we pray that you would do this in the name of the one who left everything on our behalf. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.